This is Limit Up, a trading podcast presented by the performance coaches at Top Step. We discuss futures, forex, stocks, options, history, trading psychology. Basically, if you can trade it, we'll try our best to make sense of it. Now, on to the show. Hello, traders. Welcome to Limit Up, live from Chicago. It's Tuesday afternoon with your host, Jack Pelzer and Dan Hodgman. Today, we're talking about keeping those numbers on your side, but that opening was a slight homage to what we'll talk about briefly later, which is the god king of the meme stocks, Mr. Elon Musk, <laughs> was the host on SNL this week. Dan, did you get a chance to watch any of that? I've seen some clips. I did not watch it uh, live, but I've seen some clips. And uh, what I've seen, I liked. I got some laughs. I thought uh, it was nice to see Elon humanize himself a little bit and also kind of call himself out. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about that a bit later because I, I, I could talk about that for a whole podcast and I won't subject everyone to that. Maybe maybe we have a spinoff podcast where we, uh, we, we talk SNL once a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder like who is the next CEO that they could have host. Uh, something tells me we'll never see Peter Thiel. We'll never see Zuckerberg. <laughs> could you imagine Mark Zuckerberg? <laughs> oh my gosh! I, I, I no no I I I could I could see like like I'd get a kick out of Bill Gates on there. I think that would be funny, but I think he's too serious of a person well, to actually do it. I think he's got bigger fish to fry at the moment. I, would, I was going to say, and he's got other things going on. Maybe a Bezos. Maybe a Bezos could be funny. I doubt it. He he's 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 even more Android like than Elon Musk. So anyway, we'll circle back to that <laughs> uh, before we get to keeping numbers on your side. Which, by the way, what we mean by that is trying to incorporate the best risk reward profiles into your strategy. Those things will differ depending on what you're doing. But before we get to that, uh, I thought we could do our little segment where we talk about what we're watching this week. And I'll kick it off this time. And we just finished recording a coach's playbook about inflation. Inflation is the rage. Uh, you should check it out on the Top Step website. Me and JD the Dancing Bear and Mick and Dan go into it more in depth than we have time to do on the podcast. But I'll be keeping an eye on those CPI numbers. We have commodity prices rising. We have Janet Yellen throwing expensive gasoline, I suppose, onto the fire. Uh, but we go into it there, so I won't go too high, except that you should be, especially if you're trading the stock indices, keep an eye out because the growth stocks will be hurt the most if inflation comes up. And I know a lot of a lot of people out there have made a lot of money going long the NQ this year. So you need to know what might be some possible headwinds to that. Dan, what are you looking at? So, you know, caught my attention on Sunday. We've got this cyber attack on um, the gasoline pipeline that is, um, you know, frightening to say the least. Um, I don't have a ton of specifics on exactly what the attack was, where it came from. I've read some things from all over the place saying, you know, different people. To me, the bigger concern is you have a major pipeline that shut down. Um, they're hoping to be back up and running by the end of this week. Uh, you're seeing, you know, long lines uh, for gasoline in the Carolinas right now. Crude oil's just been kind of all over the place this morning. You know, I was saying on the forecast this morning, we've basically kind of triple bottomed down at uh, 6390. 
And I said, you know, here's a point where this is an opportunity to possibly catch a run. And uh, it was fast. It was violent. It was volatile. Once that equity market opened up, uh, money came right in and picked, scooped this thing up and ran it up a dollar thirty cents, dollar forty cents. So I've been really trying to stay in touch and in tune with um, oil and gasoline, um, and I've been watching extremely closely the micro Bitcoin. Of course, something that's really I- I'm fascinated by these cyber attacks too, because it reminds me a little bit of the dawn of the nuclear age, where we don't really understand yet what the ramifications are and we don't know how to treat it either it's so weird it's we brush off uh, all the state actors that are doing it so you know united states russia israel iran china so those are what comes to the top of my head it's almost it's considered like lol we cyber attacked you like it's a prank or something but these have this is sort of, they could have massive consequences down the line. Mm-hmm. Major ramifications with what's happening. Right. You see, like, you know, uh, con- there's this weird sort of engagement thing. And Dan, you were in the military where it's like, well, we would never think about bombing a target. But if we, you know, write some piece of computer code that makes it explode or something. Yeah, that's cool. We'll brag about it. It's all good. Yeah. It's it, it's a weird situation, right? <laughs> you know, it's after my time in the military, kind of with the stuff I was doing while I was in, it opens up your eyes to a lot of things that we don't know about. Yeah, I imagine. So some things we know a little bit about. <laughs> I'll leave that, it at that. Well, Dan, I'll, I'll let you start maybe a little bit because you chose, I had some terrible title for this, and you were talking about the idea of keeping the numbers on your side. And I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on what that means to you. Yeah. So last week, we kind of talked about this, do your homework, do the research. And lately, I've had a lot of conversations with traders probably over the last month that they're kind of hanging their hat on the $1,000 days, the $2,000 days. That's what they expect to be making on a regular basis. And unfortunately, that's just not totally realistic. If if it was feasible to come in and make a 1000 bucks a day, you know, you're a $200,000 trader before you know it. That's crazy numbers. And so that's kind of where I, my head kind of started to go. We talked about this idea of risk management. And I think it's really important to focus then that, you know, this idea of risk management, risk versus reward on, you know, multiple levels. So most often when you hear this term, you know, risk versus reward, you're thinking about your trade, which you should be. The first thing you think is my trade. I should be two to one reward over risk. You know, my risk needs to be half my reward. That's kind of this industry standard. And that's where we start mentally. But you have to start to bring it bigger picture than that because it's very easy to give up a good winning day. The next day, you know, you have one good day. The next day you come in and you can give that back really quickly and you go, well, I stuck to my risk versus reward. I was trading, you know, two to one. I was, doing well. I just had more losers today. And I want to bring it a bigger picture. And I really wanted to talk about this idea of you need to look at it in multiple facets. You need to look at it in a day timeframe, in that weekly timeframe, right? Let's bring our numbers into more realistic numbers. If a good day for you is 500 bucks, 
you really don't want to be coming in the next day and risking more than 250. There are going to be times where you're going to have to adjust that. You're going to have to risk a little bit more. And that's acceptable. You know, it, it's dependent on what that market's presenting. Um, but you really want to keep that bigger picture. You want to turn that risk reward from trade to trade, day to day, week to week, month to month, because you want to grow. And that's what we want to be doing here. And that's how we're going to keep these numbers in our favor. If we know, you know what, over six months of back testing and trading, I've learned that I'm averaging, you know, $250 a day. That's your up days, or that's your average winning trade, or that's your average day. When you start to have that understanding, you can then create scalable processes. This is a business. What do you talk about in every business and any any opportunity that's presented? Well, how is it scalable? How can we grow this? And you can do that in trading as well. If you can come in and say, you know, my average update is $250, that's scalable. If you can create mm-hmm. consistency doing that, trade in one lots, you can scale that to double your returns you know, after a while, triple your returns, quadruple your returns, and you can get to that six-figure salary that you everyone wants. We got to do it in time and slow the process. And the only way to do that is by carrying that risk versus reward over time. Yeah. And you need to measure these things and know it. So there are basically two inputs that go into the success of your trading strategy. And you should know them. It's what is your average winner compared to your average loser? And what percent of the time are you correct? And you need to know those because they are what tells the whole story. Example, you said like running it like a business. Let's say that you're the bank, Dan, and I have- I've always a, wanted to be the bank. Okay, well, I, I have a proposition for you. Okay. I own a bar and we're, look, we're looking to expand. We think we're doing pretty well. And you say, well, how well you are you doing? I say, okay, well, check this. On St. Patrick's Day, 2019, we made $30,000 in a day. Ooh. What'd you do the next day? That's not important. I, I made, I made $30,000 <laughs> in a one. I feel like that's how a lot of traders in the program sometimes approach it, right? They couldn't tell what their average loss is. We put it in their dashboard so it's there. But... There should be consistency there, right? Mm -hmm. Over time, you should find that not only do you have the big ones, but you need to be able to control the losses and need to be able to say, like, this is about where I should be on each of these, and this is my percentage. And if you see any of those variables changing, if your winners are getting smaller, if those other variables aren't changing, if if your losers aren't getting smaller or your percents aren't getting better as far as being right, you need to evaluate why that is. You do. In trading, it's not about the anomaly. You know, businesses, a bar in Chicago can plan for, hey, we know St. Patrick's Day is a big day for us. We can plan for that. In trading, you can't plan for those big days. It's not something you need to expect. You have to come in trading, just going to be a standard day. And every so often, we're going to get that day that we're going to be firing on all cylinders and we're going to get a big move and we're going to have that big day. And that's awesome. You know, we live for those types of days, but they're not, there's no expectation that it's going to happen. And that's the thing with trading. You can't plan your year ahead saying, well, last year on May 17th, I had my best day ever. This May 17th is going to be the same. Yeah. It's not the case. 
No. And so you can alter with it. We'll get to, I'm going to talk about some ways you could trade before we talk about why we kind of advise a two to one uh, reward to risk ratio. And by the way, everyone out there, I, I learned it as risk to reward and I'm going to confuse them, but what I mean is that you want your average winner to be twice as big as your average loser. It's it's funny. Everyone says risk versus reward, myself included, and then you say it's two to one. So it's it's just how everyone has always said it. It's awkward to say one to two, so that's why it we is. flip it as far as the trading goes. So there's a lot of trading strategies out there because there's a lot of different ways to trade. And there are huge funds, for instance, that will have a reward to risk ratio of, uh, you know, nine to one, 100 to one, if the reward's big enough. Chances are that's not going to be the case when you're day trading. I think those come into play more with certain, I, I never worked for a fund where that was the kind of thing you did. But like, I think a lot of like long tail option strategy places, sort of like black swan funds and stuff like that, that's how they work where mm-hmm. they think that the premium being sold on way out there on the distribution curve events isn't adequately capturing risk. They've had varying degrees of success, but people often buy those things as like a hedge. So you're not doing that here, not trading futures. Mm-hmm. Um, other ways to do it would be to win a, a little, do it the opposite way with one to nine. And that can work. I often feel bad giving advice in this show because in my trading career, I worked at a place where uh, the way I traded was make a certain amount of money every day and then your blow up when it occurs is going to wipe out nine days or something like that. But that's good. We But we knew what the percentages were, right? If it was happening more often than that, it was like, well, something is not working. You were you were working with a, a firm and a team that has it planned and has the data and the stats behind it, and you were also trading differently. My theme has always been trade what you have and not what you want, right? And if you're if you're trading with five grand, you can't come in with that mentality. You know, if you've got a couple hundred grand behind you, there's a different approach you can take. You right. can take a little bit more heat, and you can maybe take the one to ones the one to two, one to threes, because you've, you know, and it's different based off of time frame too, right? Day trading, you can't really come in. You might get two or three quality trades in a day. And if one trade's going to wipe out four winners, what's the point of sitting down when you're a little bit bigger time frame, you're managing a position. You know, when you have a large position too, some trades, you're going to take the loss because other trades are going to be fruitful. Well, the important thing to remember too is that we weren't trading outrights like our traders were. So we were trading things that should be mean reverting. Uh, by the way, that can backfire too. Uh, ask the geniuses at long-term capital management. You can have mean reverting things, but they can go way out of whack and you can get margin called. So mm-hmm. it's not like that's a silver bullet. But this kind of brings us into how we encourage people to trade. So the first two things like are opposite ways you could trade, right? I personally don't think those really lend themselves to people that are outright trading futures on a short time period. What we've found looking at our data and the people who've been successful in our program is that 
when day trading outrights, you want to have your average winner. Let's put it this way. When you're trading outrights, you're not going to be right more than, what do you say, Dan, 60% of the time would be pretty good? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people try and hang their hat on winning percentage, but you got to keep in mind winning percentage over time. You got to come in with the expectation you're going to be 50-50. If you can maintain 50-50, then how can you be profitable at 50-50? Well, that is the answer to that question. So Dan, if you're going to be 50-50 in the long term, how is it that you can be profitable? Winners have to be bigger than your losers. Exactly. So that's why we encourage that. Uh, Hogue talks about this as asymmetric opportunities. So if you know that you're only going to be right half the time, it means your average winner has to be bigger than your average loser to make money. And you need to stick to that discipline, right? You need to stick to that strategy. Unless something changes in the market, you can't be cutting winners early or letting losers run because you'll throw off that ratio. And before you know it, you're treading water and you'll get eaten up like that. Yeah. And one thing too, there are times you're going to look at it and go, well, I'm still okay with this trade. And it might work in your favor once. But if you start doing that, if you start accepting that one time you can do it, you can do it again. You can do it a second time and a third and a fourth and a fifth. And then next thing you know, you're coming into it and saying, look, I don't care if my risk is double my reward. I remember two months ago, I, I went quadruple risk versus my reward and I made money and it leads to bad habits. So you really want to focus on sticking to that plan. You don't want to deviate from that plan because then you're going to start to create bad habits. And the last thing any of us want to have are bad habits in trading because it's extremely detrimental. It can take us out of this industry very fast. The worst you can get is to get to be a coin flip, right? And if you have strategy, like the closer, if you're not looking for opportunities that are bigger than your loss, which some of the, we talked about all these scalping strategies um, a little bit, you're bringing yourself closer to that coin flip where you will buy the way the markets work, just keep eating alive through commissions, through whatever may happen, but you just can't make money that way. Mm -hmm. Not in a, not in a sustainable way. So is two to one, some sort of gospel? No, we've just found that that's a good way to explain it to people so, so that they understand it. Yours might be a little bit different. I think it's a good rule of thumb to look for those opportunities. You know, that's typically how I do it. And I think when you start looking at it that way, you'll start to see bigger opportunities. Once you start focusing on making sure your risk is less than your reward, you start to see a bigger opportunity. Yesterday, crude oil was a prime example. We were kind of opening up in the center of the range from the overnight session. Um, and yesterday being Monday, May 10th, it is currently Tuesday, May 11th. We opened up, we were in the dead center of the range. And everyone knows the first thing I look at when a market opens up is I'm looking for a return to settlement price. And it was a good reward in the trade if I could catch the run down to settlement price. The problem was the risk, because risk is not dollar based, just because it was a, you know, a 80 cent move or something like that down to settles. That's an $800 move. So is it worth taking? 40 cent risk in a trade where off the open, I'm risking $400 to get into a trade. No, it, it's, you got to keep those factors in mind. And no, I think it was 60 and 30. I think it was a 60 cent winner, but we were dead center of the range. Our risk was close to 40 cents. 
wasn't a realistic trade. So those are things that you start to pay attention to when you're looking at those asymmetric opportunities. You start looking at it and saying, okay, you know what? It's dead center here. I don't like this. So instead of getting in now, I'm going to wait for this market to approach one of my extremes. As it gets closer to those extremes, you can make that, then that's where you make that decision. Am I fading this extreme or am I going to lean into it and hope for continuation in that direction? And there's a lot of things you can start to pay attention to, order flow, momentum, where the bids and offers are coming in, where is it getting heavy, is volume continuing? Typically, you know, if you're looking at things and volume is continuing to increase, you should expect market to continue in that direction. If you start to see volume die down, then you're expecting, okay, here's a point for uh, retracement or a return to where we were. So those are things you can start to pay attention to. And then you make the decision when you get to that extreme. And maybe yesterday, crude oil, you're looking at it and saying, okay, well, we made the move to settlement price. Should I expect this thing to keep going? And you can look at it and it was pretty obvious that momentum was still coming. Volume was still coming in on the sell side. All right, we have another point down below. We're going to look for this extreme here to extend lower. Mm-hmm. And you can get in and you can manage your risk. At that point, you're saying, look, I'm not risking much more above settlement price. Um, if I'm going to short this thing, I'm not going to take a whole lot of risk and I'm going to look for this thing to continue to the downside. If it was the vice versa, you're looking, you're getting long at settlement price and you're putting your stop just on the other side there in the expectations that it's going to bounce and it's going to recover right to where we opened up. Yeah. And if you stay disciplined with looking for asymmetric trades, you're going to find that you become more selective. And that is what we've talked about a lot. That is the best habit, I think, that at least our traders that we've seen in the combine can develop is to be more selective, not to just go for a trade that you're looking for the one-to-one, because in the long term, that's not going to work out. If you have a completely different strategy, sure. Like if you are someone where it works, where you're doing the, the the one to nine reward the risk thing, then you're trading all the time. But that is not, I just don't see too much how that's feasible with point and click futures trading. Have you seen anyone trade like that? Not successfully. I've watched people try it. Keep in mind too, you, you know, if you're going to risk nine, what your reward was, that psychological toll of you got nine winners in a row and then you take one and all of a sudden you're down money. One trade knocks out nine winners. What's the point of being here? That's not fun. That's miserable. You do that again and all of a sudden it's going to take you 18 winners to get back to scratch. There's not enough. There's not 18 trades in the day in these markets. No. I don't care what time frame you're looking at to find a solid trade. Um, at specific levels that are going to create opportunity where you can be asymmetric or you know you can find a quality trade. There's not nine of them. Right. There's not eighteen of them. And, th- and then thirty six. On the other side, I mean, we've seen some people, but I think then you have to say the L word, which we don't like to say, which is luck. Uh, when you see the people that have sort of a, I want to make sure I don't, I say this right. I got to go in my head. The people that do the nine to one reward to risk. They'll get lucky and then you have to, hey, by all means, more power to you if you're able to do that, but don't then shift your strategy from nine to one to like one to one. Like mm-hmm. you get lucky on the first one, you're up a ton of money and then being like, well, 
Now we're doing one to one. This is what I trade now. Don't that's a uh, mission creep. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, you know, you want to just be thinking about it. You you just want to really comes down to just keeping that math in your favor, right? You cannot come in expecting you're going to be 100%, you know. Baseball, it's such a common term used when it comes to sport analogy when it comes to trading. You know, a good baseball player is batting 300. So they're 30% of the time they're getting on base. That's a good stat. That's a great thing to have in baseball. In trading, you know, how do you be successful at 30%? Well, it's all about how you're managing your risk. If you're two to one, you know, anything above 35% and you're in the profits, so you're batting 350. Um, you want better odds than that, then, you know, you don't need to hit the base every time, but you just want to be able to be profitable. And if it's batting in a runner, right, you know, you you don't have to get on base every time, but there's small ones you can take in that. Yeah. And we have a blog. I'll try and get the title out to everyone who's listening where it's, it's from a few years ago, but, but believe us when we say that the data holds where someone analyzed the people that were up in their funded account versus the people that did not or lost money. And they did not, they had completely different risk profiles. And it turned out that the people that were up usually had somewhere between a 1.5 and 2.5 reward to risk in the trades that they were taking. And guess what, everyone? They also traded less. And I feel like that's something that I have to say every episode because over trading is the is the single pitfall, I would say, is the booby trap that most of our play- traders who do not uh, make money or pass the combine fall into. It's trading too much. Yeah, I think most traders that I look at, I, I have a pretty decent thumb when it comes to, or pulse on it when it comes to looking at someone and saying, this person has a chance here or this person's going to struggle. And typically if I'm seeing, you know, 30 plus trades in a day. You might have a good couple days, but 30 losses, even if you're risking, let's just say you're averaging 30 trades in a day. And this is where I I think it's really important to think about you're averaging 30 trades in a day. And maybe that person says to me, yeah, but I don't lose more than $50 in a trade. Great. So you're taking 30 trades a day. Your risk in each one is 50. That's $1,500. Yeah. That's a lot of money to risk every day. You have two bad days, you're down three grand. Because you're, you're used to taking 30 trades, it gets hard to cut it off. Sure does. And a our big account, 150K account, that's a 33% of your account drawdown is in one day. You don't want to trade like that. Yeah. So keep the numbers in your favor, everyone. And now we'll transition to a little bit of our uh, fun zone to end it here. So I was interested when I saw that Elon Musk would be hosting SNL for a host of reasons, one of which is I've known for a long time that he's big into satire because he was actually in serious considerations to buy The Onion back in uh, around 2017. Uh, It fell apart and they were bought by Univision instead. But so he's always- You had a little connection to The Onion. I do. I may or may not have been around there at the time. <laughs> but he, in fact, he ended up hiring half the Onion writing staff to go work for a project of his that unfortunately, and they were such funny people, they all moved out there and it kind of fell apart because this was over the time period where 
you know, Elon had smoked that joint on the Joe Rogan show and people were, it was not a good time for him to have a comedy publication because people are like, stop focus, like stop acting all woo woo and, you know, make us some Tesla money. And you know what he did? So he should bring back that project. But <laughs> how we connect this to finance. Hey, I'll say this. I thought Elon did a uh, fine job. I thought he did a lot better than notoriously the worst SNL host or uh, with few exceptions, athletes, you know, people who are good at not talking, I would say. Third best ratings uh, of the year behind Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle. There you go. And no one would expect him to match Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, they've been working at the craft a little longer. But to, to loop into the fun zone, a little of the financial thing, did you see how it crashed Dogecoin because he made a few jokes about it there? Boy, he was doing the news segment with um, and he, uh, he took a good little shot at Dogecoin, but then came back pretty strong <laughs> the next day with a tweet, Dogecoin to the moon or something. You can, you can buy flights to the moon with Dogecoin. And uh, gave it a little bit of life. That is one. Do you know what the market cap is of Dogecoin? I I almost don't even want to know because it'll make me pull my hair out. I don't. I'm watching a lot of people. I you know, never mind. I'm not even going to say this, but ah, who cares? The amount of people I'm watching talk about this and they're, you know, all over social media touting, you know, buy it all, buy it all, buy it all, never sell, sit on this forever. I just can't help but think, take, you're in good money. Take it and run. Has there a, I don't think it's the next Bitcoin. In the history of the world, has there ever been a pump and dump scheme where everyone's in on it and is like, yeah, I'm going to pump. It'd be like if people were like, like after- Ma GameStop? GameStop. Well, but, right. That's a new phenomenon, right? It, it would be like after Madoff got invested. So it was like, give him more money. <laughs> right. <laughs> to the moon, Madoff Investment Securities. I was joking with someone the other day about making my own uh, crypto and seeing if it would catch, but I don't know how to do what that. What would you call it? I had a great name and I forgot it. Hogecoin? Oh, that's to be Hoge. Right? Hoge again. Hogecoin. That would work. The Hodge, the Hodgepodge coin? Yeah. So I, I just want to leave. I thought it was cool, though, that in his introduction, he talked about being the first, although the internet pointed out that Dan Aykroyd had hosted, but being the first yeah. to uh, have Asperger's syndrome. And I think it's good to talk about, especially because I'm going to venture not with our listeners out there being in the trading industry for a while uh there's definitely a lot of people in the industry with some autistic tendencies and uh i think it's good to see people talk about that and uh, be a positive role model for them so i i thought that was such a great thing for him to say i mean it's a wild world we live in these days um for him to get up and say that and prove you know this is one of the wealthiest guys in the world has created something that the whole world watches, not just Tesla. SpaceX has been a huge thing. You know, I thought that was just awesome. Yeah. So uh, good job. You did a lot better than I thought I would. So we'll leave it there. Dan, thanks for coming by today. Uh, we're going to have a nice little weekend. I'm head to an island. So uh, we'll see if I can get the... Yeah, you enjoy. I will enjoy that. But hopefully my internet works. But if not, we'll figure out something for next week. In the meantime, keep your risk less than your reward on average. Rock on. Namaste and trade well. Limit Up is presented by Top Step and produced by Dante32.
Futures and Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.